Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is episode number three of Ripples. I am Michael Dorinda, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Greg, Greg Skerman. Skerman. Yeah, it's me. And special first-time guest, first guest of the show, Stephen Reese carter Hey. All right. So when when Greg and I kind of put together the idea for this podcast, it was around sort of bringing in people and voices predominantly or probably almost exclusively really from the Laravel community to talk about how the ripples that they send out into the world have kind of propagated out and and how those things have come around over a longer period of time. The crux being that when you send the ripples out, you don't know. But Stephen has been in the community for a number of years. I think, Stephen, the first I became aware of you was, I think, Laracon AU. 2018 i think 2018 you submitted and then um you were unable to attend or maybe it was 2019 and then you ended up having to to go to another conference so the timing didn't work out but you that was 19 i believe 19 yeah and then i think between 2019 and 2023 when we ran again you spoke somewhere else and kind of hit the scene with a bang in in the laravel community a little bit so i suppose the reason we wanted to get you on, and I'll, I'll get you to sort of introduce yourself and talk a bit more about yourself, but we wanted to, to kind of talk about what that kind of experience has been like for you as, as I guess, how Greg termed it, the preeminent security expert in the Laravel community. You definitely, the first name that comes to mind, you know, specifically in the Laravel community and, and probably one of the more prominent members of, uh, of the, you know, the web development security space that, that I'm aware of. So, um, yeah, do you want to just take a, a moment to introduce yourself and, and talk a little bit about your journey? Sure. So, yeah, hi, I'm Stephen. Um, yeah, so I think my, back in, was it 2019? Yeah, I submitted for um, Laracon AU and um, got selected to speak. But then at the time I was working for WordFence who do WordPress security. Um, and I was working as a developer there, but also doing security talks on WordPress at various WordPress conferences. And um Work wanted to send me to, or the whole company actually went to WordCamp US over in um, St. Louis that year, which was at the same time as Laracon. So it was a choice of I could go to, was it Sydney for a conference or I could go to America for a work-funded trip that um, turned into a family holiday. So I took the uh, the family option um, mm-hmm. when it had a had a month in the US. Um, turns out it was our last big holiday before COVID and everything locked down. Yeah. So that, that was fun. Um, yeah, and so... I was working, doing a WordPress security at the time. Um, and then COVID happened and locked, oh, sort of lockdowns in Brisbane. We didn't have that much, but, you know, things just got a lockdown a bit. There was no more in-person events. Um, and, I mean, I'd been doing Laravel. We, we used Laravel internally for our own applications and things at Word, WordFence. So I'd been using Laravel for um, years at that point. Um, and I just, you know... Um, was trying to do more speaking things and conferences were going online. So we had the Laracon online so we're starting up. And I thought, why not? Let's you know submit a security talk to Laracon online. Because the talks I'd been doing at the WordPress conferences were were my interactive hacking um, talks. And so I was hacking into WordPress live on stage, which is always a lot of fun, especially for a room full of technical and non-technical people. Um, I actually had the first talk I did, which wasn't a hacking talk. It was talking about how I was cleaning infected sites um, I had someone come up to me and say they were afraid to come to my talk because they thought it would be scary. Um, and that talk wasn't supposed to be scary. It was supposed to be that just uh, this is how I got into 
WordPress security and how I was cleaning infected websites. But the next year, and that was 2019, I think it was, I went back to the conference with my hacking talk. And that was, since that point, I've been trying to make my scary talks. I figured that's a challenge. Let's take it up. Let's um, make some talks that scare some people because, you know, security is fun. It's, I enjoy doing it. Um, and it's also something that you need to be aware of. And yeah, and so I'm jumping around a bit, but hopefully this is all making sense. Back to uh, what, 2020, when Laracon Online started up, I thought, let's submit a Laravel version of the talk. And so I built got accepted into Laracon Online and built a new version of the talk. Um, what did I call it? Things like a hacker, I think it was called back then as well, um, mm-hmm. which was, yeah, breaking into a Laravel site. And so I did that in that year. And then um, I think it was in that year. I think it was that year where I, I just got burnt out from work um, and COVID and everything else. And so I actually took a couple of months off work entirely um, and left WordFence for that. And so... I was just speaking at um, a couple of the Laracons that year, doing more hacking talks and things like that. And um, oh, you kind of, yeah, joined the community in that sense. I mean, I'd already always been around kind of a lurker, but ever since the Laracon online talk, that kind of raised my presence to people less than knew who I was in a way. Um, and then when was it? It was around the start of, must have been 2001. Um, no, 2021. Um, the next year, the start of that year, I got a, I was looking for a job. Um, trying to find what to do, what was I, what was I going to do next? So I was looking to try and get into Laravel development somewhere. And then I got an email from someone. He, he re- emailed me and said, "Do you do security audits and penetration tests for Laravel apps?" He'd seen my Laracon online talks and um, you know, thought I knew what I was doing. And at the time, you know, I hadn't even considered it as an option. I was still looking as a, for a development job, but um, I needed some money. And I thought, why not? You know, I could do this a couple of weeks. Could be fun. Um, and so I did that for my first ever client. Um, and that was so much fun. I literally made it up on the spot and I had done security certifications before, um, which do kind of run through the process of doing penetration tests. So I knew the rough idea of what I was doing, but still made up the process and figured out how to order a Laravel app. Having years of experience with Laravel definitely helped that knowing what the apps are supposed to do and look like. Um, and then, so I did that one and um at the end of it i thought why not let's give this a go and so i put a tweet out and said you know i'm doing security audits for laravel apps and then got a significant amount of interest from that booked my next client and then it kind of went on from there um and kind of been doing it ever since really i mean there was a a stage where i was struggling to find clients like around the end of the year is tricky to find clients and i was thinking of getting back into doing development um and having more of a stable job rather than contracting because contracting and finding clients is not something I enjoy at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the places that I applied for a job was um, none other than where Greg works. <laughs> Pretty sure I offered you a fairly lucrative lucrative role. And about two weeks later, you're like, yeah, no, nah, I'm going to go and try and do this whole security thing for you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, it was, I got the offer through from Greg and it was, yeah, do I go back to working for a salary at a, you know, corporate job for like a better word um or do i keep trying to make this contracting thing work and it it was a hard decision but um i don't regret it um i think i, I turned him down um we became good friends at that point which was kind of cool as well it wasn't a case of him going why didn't he wouldn't he let me hire him blah 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 but no we've we've been good friends ever since which has been awesome um and been doing the contracting auditing security stuff ever since as well yeah, I think my my first exposure to you was must have been long after you did Laracon EU. You brought your think like a ta- uh, hacker talk to the Brisbane Laravel meetup, 
um, so the, the very first Brisbane Laravel meetup, and I actually had my boss in uh, the yes. room, who um, uh, <laughs> my, my boss did did I think one year of a computer science degree and decided it wasn't for him when did an MBA, um, but he is aware enough of of, of what we do um, to be. I think he saw your uh, your blind sequel um, exploit where you just dumped an entire database. Um, it freaked him out, <laughs> um, but I think. I think that um, that was always the, uh, the the ending finale for my WordPress talks. I, yeah, that, that that style of talk where you kind of make people suddenly realize that um, yeah, there's definitely a boogeyman hiding underneath your bed, and you need to be <laughs> you need to be aware of this stuff. Yeah, and the boogie boogeyman is called Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> I took it as a challenge when they. Uh... I I um I guess what I'm really interested in is um. No, I mean, you're aware that I've started sort of reaching out into my own sort of side hustle stuff. I'm really keen to understand how the business side of this like works for you, like finding clients and pricing things and dealing with difficult clients and so on. Um, I think that's the sort of un- everyone wants a side hustle. Everyone wants to go off and um, and and be their own boss. But there's a there's a whole bunch of stuff as I'm discovering that you have to navigate around that that um, is you don't necessarily think about and is a lot less sexy than just making up your own hours and doing your own thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it was definitely a challenge. I think, um, the thing for, I, I, I'm trying to work out where to start. Yeah. It was, um, cause yeah, I had the first person reach out to me, um, my, my client zero, um, as I sometimes call them. Um, and that's kind of where it all started. And yeah, when I finished that, I put out a tweet. It was just a single tweet going, I'm doing, you know, security audits for Laravel sites. Who's interested? Um, and actually at the time I was also doing my mailing list. I'd started what's now securing Laravel, but was called Laravel Security in Depth, which is my uh, mailing list. Uh, I'd started that as well in the, the year prior. So I was, I put mentions of it in there as well. So people kind of knew me from that as well. But yeah, so I just mainly put out the, the tweet, the thing saying, I'm doing this, who's interested um, to gauge interest. And I had a friend of people reach out to me um, and you know, I got a couple of clients from that, which is good. I had a bunch of people that, you know, they reached out and I quoted a price um, and a few of them were quite rudely rude about, you know, there are too many zeros or I was expecting it for like a hundred bucks or something absurd. Um, and in, granted, I did lower my initial price slightly from what I was originally quoting people because I wasn't, I was only had like one person who took the original price um, and a bunch of people, you know, so I was trying low, lower the price to try and get more interest next time I did advertising and things like that, which, which helped. Um, but I didn't, I couldn't bow to the, um, dropping off a huge amount from the amount I had to stick to the rough amount that I was going for. Um, you know, it, it just wasn't going to be feasible me spending the time on that for the amount of money that people were expecting to pay for it. Um, but luckily, you know, I have a very small number of clients a year, you know, like, um, I don't know, 10, 15, maybe. Yeah, um, possibly. Um, and so I don't have a huge amount of clients per year. And so I need the the, the small volume, high value clients as opposed to a bunch of um, smaller clients paying a small amount, if that makes sense. Um, but I just kind of made it up as I went along, mm-hmm. really, which is uh, kind of funny to think about it. But I guess it was just a gap that needed to be filled in the community. There wasn't really anyone else doing what I was doing. Um, and people knew I was, knew what I was talking about from my talks and my mailing yeah. list. Um, and every time I was getting close to needing more clients, I just put out a tweet 
Um, and that originally that worked really well. That would get me a lot of um, visibility on it. And then I would get a lot of contacts. A bunch of them wouldn't pan out. Um, I'd get like one or two, maybe from, you know, like 10 or 15 people emailing me about it. So, you know, again, that's a, a small hit ratio, but it was enough to do what I needed. Um, and then, um, Twitter got sold and went to hell. Mm -hmm. Um, and it dried up a lot as a marketing platform. It's no longer very useful at all for marketing stuff. Um, luckily I'm at the point now where people know me from my Laracon talks, um, and word of mouth and things like that, where I don't really need it as much to promote my work. I'm getting, I get a lot of emails from people who I don't know where they came from. I don't know how they found out about my audits, just that they're interested in audit. Again, only, you know, half of them actually um, pan out, but still I don't have to do a lot of marketing at all just because of the, I've built that sort of reputation in there, which is, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Mm. Do you find you've spoken, so you did Laracon online in 2020. I think you did it again in 21 or 22. You spoke a second time and now you've done, you know, Laracon US, you've done Laracon AU. Do you find you get a bit of a, a bump in interest as a result of you know the the public sort of presentations yeah definitely um in fact a day or two ago i just got an email from someone saying they'd see me at laracon au so yeah i definitely doing the 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 conferences do um increase activity they also raise for my mailing list and my course as well um it does help but i also generally run a, a sale on my mailing list around the conferences when i'm speaking for the fun of it but um yeah often after a talk, I'll I'll get one or two emails mm-hmm. from someone who's seen the talk. But it's also a long tail thing. It's not a short, you know, it's not like the direct exact week after. It can be months after um, for various reasons. You know, they've taken them a while to watch the recordings mm-hmm. online or they've got to talk to their boss and get approval or that sort of thing. And so it's a very slow-moving um, business yeah. in that sense. I think people have got to take the time to get the approvals because it's, it's not cheap um, and, you know, they've got to appro- – um, convince the right people that it's yeah. what they want to do. Yeah, I think if you're at the size of organization where you, you know, you as a developer or someone that has that level of influence knows, hey, we should do this, but there's no buy-in from the top down, then there's obviously some convincing to do. You're not there yet, but it's like, you know, here's a chunk of money that we should spend for this kind of thing. If you're in a bigger organization like we, um, the company I at, we have, ISO 27K1, we're doing SOC 2 compliance stuff at the moment. So we're going through all of those processes and that's like a compliance thing so that, you know, we know that we have to do it. And so, you know, you get that next level of company comes in and they send three or four different people at, at different times and they all do different things and you know, we have to do not just compliance and security audits of our of our software, but it's also the compliance at that level is also around training and making sure that, you know, people aren't giving stuff away, you know, personal information that they're not doing, you know, that, that they're not clicking links and, and that they're all doing the right things. So there's there's certainly, I think, that level of person, you know, that would see you speak at a Laracon that goes, this is interesting. Well, yeah, they're going to have that longer period of time where they need to wait for the recording show the recording to someone say this guy knows what he's talking about find out how much it is convince them that hey we need to spend that kind of money so i can certainly see how it's a more drawn out sales process but as you say laracon au was in november it's february now at the time of this recording so that's you know four months and someone's like hey i saw your talk i want to so it's good to have people in the 
in the funnel and it's, you know, putting yourself out there is what's driving these kind of things down the road. And and Greg, you know that as well, you know, with with the you know, your talk mm. that you gave at Laracon has now led to, you know, you being booked up almost till the end of this month as well. You just put on Twitter earlier today, I saw. Yeah. Yeah. I mean and, and that, that I think's um I don't I don't know whether that's something that drives people to give up putting themselves out there, but I'm a feedback loop guy and I really like short, tight, sharp feedback. So I like being able to do something and see a, a response to that. And one of the really interesting learnings for me is that you put a lot of things out there. Um, you put a lot of yourself out there and then you wait and there's this waiting mm-hmm. game and, and that waiting game happens. You know, I do, I do a bunch of um, uh, LinkedIn outreach now <clears throat> um, to, to people who might be interested in, in what I'm offering. Um, and I do a bunch of, um, uh, Twitter stuff and emailing people and, um, but the feedback is sometimes weeks, um, several weeks, sometimes it's very quick, but, um, yeah, I just wonder whether or not people get, did you ever feel discouraged, Stephen, where you sort of did a thing, expected to get something out of it. And then it was like a month or two before anything actually eventuated from that effort. Yeah, it happens. Um, yeah, it's happened a number of times. Um, and yeah, I'll, especially, I mean, yeah, like sometimes I'll put out a tweet for something promoting my audits or, or one of my other things like my course or my mailing list or whatever. And yeah, there'll just be no engagement, no, no responses, no nothing. And it just gets super discouraging because, you know, I don't have like a, a salaried job to fall back on or whatever. Everything that I have to make to provide for me and the family comes from the security work that I do in the community. And so. You know, it, it, it is hard some days and there are some down periods as well. Like the middle of the year is generally pretty good for orders. People kind of start up the year, you know, Feb, March, April, they start, you know, looking around, trying to book in orders and things. And so get booked in for the middle of the year kind of works. But as the year ends up, it gets a lot harder to, to get clients in and to, to get things going. Um, and then over the December, Christmas, December, January period, again, it can be quite quiet, um, which is, which can be frustrating. Um, the other frustrating thing that happens a lot and discouraging thing is when like emailing plus clients or um, people that have reached out for quotes and things and you're just sending a follow-up, you know, you're interested in a new audit or, you know, have you thought of the proposal and just getting no responses. And it's, it's, it's frustrating just not getting a response from, from an email that's, uh, you know, just let me know if you're interested or not. You mm. know, should I keep, should I keep you on my list or should I just move on? Um, and not, sometimes just not getting a response at all from that, which is, uh, it, it makes it very, very hard sometimes when you feel like you're just emailing the void or even maybe your email stopped working. Like maybe my emails just aren't going out because no one's responding to them, um, which which can be hard. Uh, so you were talking about the the feedback loop while we wait for Stephen to yeah. come back and, and how you kind of, and especially I think for yourself who's starting out in this particular space, like obviously you know what you're talking about because of your day job, the, the role that you feel like the work that you do you are very good at what you do, but this this kind of coaching mentoring journey that you're on now is a is a new thing. And I suppose for you to one understand that what you're providing is of value at that level. So you know, inside a business, you get that feedback of you're doing good, so we'll pay you, so you stay here, so you keep doing good. Whereas when you're doing coaching mentoring as as a solo contractor by yourself to you know anyone that you kind of bring into the process, the feedback is such that you're making sure that you are communicating in a way that resonates with different people. Obviously, they're coming to you because they want to do do the coaching, 
you need to understand that yes this is what i need to do this is um something that i'm interested in this is you know how and you're going to be constantly tweaking that as you go to provide that value but without that constant feedback loop and that constant iteration it, it's kind of hard to tell if you're hitting the mark mm. and it'll take a while i think for that word of mouth to kind of spread you know you've got to get those testimonials and get it up on a on a page or something you know that this person was coached by me and, and whatever else so yeah and i mean that yeah that's 100 percent it um it I, the, the feedback i'm struggling with at the moment though is 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 is, is, is the putting yourself out there part once once you sort of engage with someone, I can do a one hour session with them. I can check in with them like a couple of hours later or, or a couple of days later, um, and see whether or not what I'd told them resonated and adjust and pivot um, accordingly. Um, but when you're sort of putting a tweet out there that sort of says, "Hey, I'm uh, I'm I'm booking up. Uh, would anyone like to to take a slot?" Um, and then maybe a week later, someone might happen upon that. Um, mm-hmm. that it, yeah, it's the, it's the feedback in the marketing side of it that, because that's not something that is, is a strong suit that I've got. I don't, that, that isn't an area that I understand. Um, um, it'd be interesting when, when Stephen jumps back on, uh, to see how he's kind of dealt with, with that marketing side of it. But I think you also touched on, on having a funnel, right? So the more, you know, yeah, the more you can fill up the top of the funnel and the more you can have a lot of these conversations going, it kind of, I would imagine help smooth out the 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 lean times i mean I, I'm, I'm incredibly lucky I, I i'm for me this is is pure side hustle right it's not i'm not you know i'm not playing for sheep stations here i you know i still have a a, a, a job that will make sure that there's food on the table and a roof over our heads um right but with someone like steven who's, who's got you know this is a, this is his job this is is what he does yeah it's, um that's right uh, yeah that that feedback, that marketing, and and keeping that funnel really full, I think is super important. Yeah, it's it's something that you need to obviously, as you say, keep it full, keep it going, especially if it is your you know sole source of income for for you, for yourself to be able to do it as a as a secondary. Then, like if you don't get clients for a month or two, then it's not the end of the world. You've still got a a secure environment around you mm. to kind of fall back on so it's it's a bit of a different thing but you know steven's been going since what he said the end of 2020 that it's that mm. it's been a consistent thing for him and um you know it can be made to work it's just keeping yourself out there it's and i think at that kind of that level of work if you understand what is actually involved in it to make sure that you're compliant for for whatever reason or even if you just want to make sure that your application is secure for someone of of Stephen's skill level and you know understanding of all of these things, then yeah, it's going to cost money. It's you know it's it's not looking at your app for thirty minutes or an hour. It's like days of work to go through everything and kind of mm. get a real feel for the code base and and all the different things. Like try obviously there's automated tooling and things like that that he might use, but there's still a degree of understanding the code that's there and, yeah. and how it can be interacted with and manipulated with and 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 so you know people need to kind of understand that and so you know if you get a handful of big clients that are paying you know big dollars that are you know it's an annual audit or a six monthly audit or whatever else whether you know it's happening consistently that's good but the other i guess scary thing which unfortunately steve is not here to to talk about is that like 
if you've only got a handful of these bigger clients, what happens if you lose one? You know, mm-hmm. you've got to have 10 smaller clients to make up for that one bigger one. And so it's always the balancing act, I think. Yeah, and I mean, um, in 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 my day job, we actually we actually find this. We we like like most sort of SaaS products, I guess, have have multiple tiers for for multiple businesses, and, and the balancing act really is that you know the bigger the business that's working with us, notionally, the more they pay per month. Um, enterprise pricing. You got to be very careful to make sure that your portfolio of customers is such that um, when a big client churns, it doesn't you. Know, if a small client churns, you've got fifty other small clients potentially to like make up for that. Yeah, for sure. If a if a big if a big client churns, there they they could potentially be the equivalent of taking fifty small clients out with them. So, um, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, it's uh, figuring out whether or not you know what is your market. What are you are, are you actually are you are you pitching for for the small fry? And I think I mean in, in my sort of um, the, the way I'm kind of shaping things at the moment is definitely that. I mean, I'm, um. Not to say that I, I wouldn't be interested if someone said I've got a team of twenty engineers and I need them all to be coached. Um, but that's not the that's not the kind of business that I'm I'm chasing. I'd much rather have um, half a dozen individuals, um, small small uh, engagements um, to to make it a to try and make that more consistent, um, so that you know you don't feel like you don't change your lifestyle because you've you've landed some whale of a client only for them to go away and <laughs> leave yeah. you with. An empty bank account. And I think the other thing to consider, especially if you're a solo person, is that you can only take on so much to do by yourself. Mm. Um, and so, you know, it may be preferable from a funnel perspective to, you know, to have lots of clients, but can you realistically dedicate the time to do that? You know, yeah. Does does someone like like you can you can do an hour a day or or two hours a day? You know, two separate sessions. So that gives you Monday to Friday ten hours. If you throw in the weekends, you know, there's there's fourteen hours a week that you can dedicate to this, and that's it. So you've got you know, it's either seven people twice a week or fourteen people once a week. Mm. You can't you can't take on. So you need to price for your time. You know that you are taking away from doing other things. Mm. Yeah, certainly. And yeah, the pricing is all, is always a really um, uh, tricky thing to get right. The other thing I think too, uh, one of the real advantages of being a, a, an individual um, doing this kind of stuff, and Stephen's just jumped back on, so he might actually have some thoughts on this, um, is that, that there's, there's an exclusivity sort of thing that comes with this. I mean, I don't, I'm not aware of anyone other than Stephen who's doing stuff like this in the in the Laravel space, at least as publicly as he is. So um, the fact that, you know, you can only take on half a dozen clients a year um, is potentially advantageous from, from a, um, from a pricing point of view, because there's a degree of exclusivity with that, with that engagement. So, yeah, I mean, we were just talking about um, various things around sort of pricing and funnels and, and whatnot. Um, yeah. Keen to see whether or not your, um, what your experience is with being a solopreneur, and and you're the only guy who works for your security consultancy and whether or not that degree of exclusivity exclusivity is advantageous or, or a hindrance to the to the work that you do. Oh, good question. Um it's I don't it's never really come up with a client. I haven't really had a client um 
ask about, you know, who's working on stuff or that sort of thing. But I guess the way I brand everything, the way I talk about things, it's clear that I'm the one doing the work. Um, and so, you know, I, 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 it might be a thing that some people like. I don't know. I mean, I, it hasn't really been a thing and no one's really talked about it. Um, it is frustrating from the sense that when I'm the only person, I've got to do everything. Um, and some weeks, you know, you've got when there's a lot of client work to be done, but there's a lot of other admin non-client work to be done as well. It's sometimes hard to just fit everything into the week. Um, you know, finding the time yeah. to find to get all the different pieces moving and dealing with, you know, you know, booking new clients, invoicing stuff, dealing with this, dealing with that, all the different things that just happen as well. Um, and you know, so that that is frustrating from that point of view, I guess. Um, not being able to just fully focus on the order, but having to do all these other things as well. Um, but yeah, I, mean, I do quite like the the fact that because it is just me, and when people are talking to me about their orders, whatever you know, they I know that's what they're going to get, um, and it don't have to deal with you know what, what different people can pr- deliver and that sort of thing. But it does also limit based. You know, I can only do what I have the experience for. I don't have someone else who's you know really good at in different areas that I could move work over to if I needed to. Um, and like taking time off work is difficult as well. Um, or if I've got like, some clients booked and then I need to to do some family things or do something else that comes up, but I've rearranged timing. You can't just kind of shift the work on to someone else who doesn't have who's got some bandwidth in their work. If that makes sense, I th- am I answering the question? Am I kind of fitting the theme, or right. have I missed yeah. the point? Yeah. No, no, um, no. It's uh, yeah. It's 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 interesting. It's like, um, I guess I'm trying to trying to figure out for my own. Um, my own benefit, uh, I guess, is to whether or not that um, personal touch and degree of exclusivity is advantageous. But I am hearing you on the admin side of things, and yeah, there is an awful lot of there is an awful lot of uh, I don't know. When you set out to do, at least when I set out to do some of this stuff, it was like this is going to be exciting. I'm going to be able to talk to people about stuff that I really love to talk about all the time, and then you've got a do your baz and you've got to do um <laughs> all your accounting and you've got to make sure that invoices are paid and it's like ah uh, forgot all about the fact that you've actually got to be an adult when you do this stuff. yes yeah that is like it's you can't just as i said like you can have you, you in your example greg you can only have you know seven or 14 clients a week but as part of that you also need to make sure that you know, maybe you can only have 10 clients a week because in in four of those slots, you need to dedicate time to invoicing, to Baz, to, you know, whatever else. That running a business by yourself, as as you alluded to, Stephen, you, you can't just do the business things. There's all of like the ancillary stuff that when you're a salaried employee working for a company, there is a finance team doing stuff. There is a, you know, accounts receivable team. There is business managers and whatever else, depending on the size of the business. Whereas when you buy yourself, you are by yourself. You can outsource accounting, but an accountant is, you know, only going to be able to deal with the things that you have already collected yourself, that you've got your invoices in the right place, that your receipts are in the right place and all of that kind of good stuff. So um, mm. there, there is, you know, I want to do it all. I don't want to let anything go, but th- there are limitations and, and, you know, balancing your time so that you still have the freedom to enjoy the things that you like to do that are not work. That's the whole reason a lot of people go out and work for themselves. Um, but then you need to price yourself to make up for the time that you're not 
you know, doing work, I guess. Mm. Yeah. 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 The other thing I was really interested in too, um, Stephen, is um, how important do you think it is for what you've done to have found like a niche? Because you, you are, as best I can tell, the only person in the community who is loudly and proudly waving the <laughs> security flag. Um, do you think that that do you think that that niche is like um, is, is essential? Is it to, to your um, to your advantage? It's clearly to your advantage. But do you think carving out a niche like that is essential? Um, I th- yes, um, sort of. Um, sorry, let me collect my thoughts. Um, I think uh, finding the niche is important when you're um, when you're when you're doing things as, as a you know single person or a small company or something like that when because at the moment, um, if I was trying to compete with other people doing the same thing that I do, um, either you know other individuals or other companies or that sort of thing, well then, um, you know I'd have to be worried about you know where I'm pricing compared to them and my timing availability and that sort of thing. But also, you know, there's just the general how much work there is in the community for it. You know, when I was doing WordPress security, there's a huge amount of demand for WordPress security um, because WordPress is humongous. You know, there is so much WordPress on the internet, it's nuts. Um, and WordPress is often being hacked on the internet because a lot of people just neglect their WordPress um, and they forget to update things. And so there's always a need for for security things. And also, it's just such a big target. Um, Laravel, on the other hand, is incredibly secure. It's actually really hard to break into, really hard to hack into in a lot of ways, especially if you're following the recommendations. Um, and, you know, most of the things that I find when I'm doing a Laravel audit are you know, where the developers have made a student mistake or they've forgotten something or they haven't finished the implementation of something or a bunch of really nice security recommendations, but ultimately I can't use them to break into your database. Um, and so there is a limited, I guess, scope in terms of what the security work is in the Laravel community. Um, and so if someone else was doing what I was doing as well, then um, we would either have to, you know, compete, you know, lower our prices or, I mean, I don't know. I guess I could advertise more. There is that fact as well. But as a limited, you know, person, I've only got limited resources. And so having the niche and being kind of the one person that's doing it um, makes it a lot easier for me to, to get clients. You know, they kind of come to me more than me having to go and find them. Um, so you know, if I wanted to, I don't know, take investment and build a team, um, then, you know, you could hire some sales and marketing people and, you know, they could go find clients and then they could build it. So then I wouldn't need a niche for that. Then it would be a case of, you know, getting the marketing working and getting the name out there via all these methods so that you just saturate the market in terms of who can find me. Um, but doing it as a, as a single, you know, as a contractor like I'm doing it now, having the niche gives, makes it easier for me to get the clients, if that makes sense. Yeah, certainly. For sure. Cool. Well, um, yeah. There's a there's a lot there's a lot in there. I'm I'm I'm, I'm taking it all in because I, I I'm like I said before I'm kind of like, I think I'm where you were in 2020. Yeah. <laughs> um, couple of couple of people who are interested, not quite sure where it's going, if it's going anywhere at all. <laughs> there's a, there's a side hustle in there for someone who wants to build an Australian um, small business compliance SaaS thing that does all of the <laughs> does all the tax and bans and all that stuff for you. <laughs> Yeah, all the current options are rubbish. <laughs> there you go, yeah, that's up your street. No, I don't want to build yeah. anything. <laughs> I have big enough problems. The exciting bit about doing your, being a contractor and a single person is when you get um, your first repeat client, 
Um, and, you know, someone who comes back the next year and wants another audit or whatever it is that you're doing, you know, you really feel mm-hmm. like you've offered a good service when, when they want to do it over again, rather than, you know, that was great, but we'll find someone else. But, mm. you know, I've, one of my, possibly my biggest client to date ha, um, is renewed on for their third year, which is really, really cool. Um, it's really exciting to have them back for, you know, three years in a row. They were, um, one of the early ones that I booked and yeah, I'm doing good things for them, which is great. And a few others have come back every year. Um, as well so that's it's it's a really nice feeling just having that that come up and hopefully that's something that greg you'll get to soon where you get your if, if I mean, is your thing have you have a recurring in what you do or is yours kind of just a one-off sort of thing yeah so i mean the i i i charge per hour um effectively but for uh for reasons of for two reasons one one of them because i think that you know coaching is not something that you just get a social I mean, it's like a personal trainer right if you have one personal training session you're not really going to get like a whole bunch out of that um so i think that people i can do a better job for people if they take on more than one session uh, i also tend to pre-book mostly to keep the admin down um so rather than invoicing somebody five yeah. times i can invoice them once um and that <clears throat> um i disc- i discount pretty heavily when people do that because it saves me a whole bunch of time um so yeah, you, the the sort of typical engagement at the moment is five one hour sessions at either a fortnightly or monthly cadence, depending on what people um, feel like they um, works for them. Some people want to work a lot quicker, but some people are uh, sort of in a position where they can work quickly. So um, if you're you know if you're running a small team and you're a technical co-founder and you can drop the founder card and go as fast as you want you can probably implement a lot of the stuff that I'm yeah. talking about very very quickly if you're working within a larger team necessarily some of this stuff there's inertia that surrounds some of these concepts uh or the or the concepts that they're fighting against um and you know having a month to be able to mm-hmm. think about things try and implement some things and come back with questions is um i think probably better for most people but yeah that's that's the nature of the engagement I'd, I'd love to get to a point where people are, are like you know we're enjoying this enough that we're going to put you on like a 12 month mm-hmm. retainer that would be that would be incredible uh, i haven't gotten to that point yet um uh but yeah it's um yeah, a very different kind of thing. I think your your engagements, my understanding, are they pretty fixed term and yeah, um, and scope limited. Mm-hmm. Mine are sort of pay for the hours and um, ask ask questions, and I will um, provide yeah. you with some insight. Speaking of questions, I have one for each of you, and I hope hopefully I remember what the questions are as I ask them and you answer them. Do you, do you think that there's like a ceiling, and and not not the like ceiling is in a bad thing, but but ceiling as in a kind of niche really that you're carving out where an organization that is bigger, you know, that has 40 engineers or 50 engineers probably has a Greg Skirman in there. So they may not necessarily look and, and it would probably be a bit antagonistic of the staff to go and contract your services if they've got a Greg in their business. Like, do you see yourself as kind of sitting you know, within individuals up to like teams of 10 or teams of 20? Like what, what is that slice that you're, you're hoping to carve out? Well, I mean, the short answer is I'd hope that most organizations do have somebody who is, I mean, I, I deeply believe in the things that I talk about um, and not just because I have experienced them and I've seen them work, but I think there's actually, you know, in, in some regards, I think I've spoken to you about this, there's in some regards an ethical and moral 
obligation to not make developers work shit because it you know no one wants to be doing midnight deployments and things like that so let's yeah. try and avoid like hurting people um what i find particularly in the companies that i've spoken to over many years of being in the development community is that australia is probably or at least brisbane is probably generally a bit behind on the sort of um devops developer experience um product management kinds of things that i speak about um so i guess the roundabout way is i I hope that i can work with people and get them started to the point where they can sort of pick up the torch and do it themselves in their own organizations um so yeah i mean they're, they're definitely i would hope that in an org that's got you know more than a dozen or so developers that because uh, because in order to get to that kind of scale right you need to actually well, do you i would hope to get to that scale you'd, you'd need to have a pretty decent handle on stuff um mm-hmm. uh, but the other thing too is that i often find that different perspectives are handy and i i, I have um there's people in sort of my leadership community in Brisbane that, that I um, that I'm a part of, who I've gotten to come and speak to my team. Now I don't necessarily agree 100 percent with all the things that they they talk about, but they can offer a differing perspective, and it you know it doesn't necessarily. So, so me coming into a team, I don't think to to help somebody to think about something differently. I don't I don't see that necessarily as being antagonistic, and I'd hope that people wouldn't take it as being antagonistic. It's really just a, um, like um, a different. A different perspective on on some of the stuff, and I've had pushback, and you know, I've had pushback on 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 my sort of um, Laracon talk around some of the things in there that were probably a little bit on the controversial side. Now, I don't think they're controversial, but people are entitled to think that they are, um, mm-hmm. and those are useful conversations to have. Um, you know, I, I get a little bit out of that, going, "Oh, they hadn't thought of it, hadn't quite thought of it that way," and then hopefully they they, they take a little bit from there. So, but I don't know. Does that does that get to your yeah. question? Yeah, I think so. That. But I, I guess, do you like? Do you want, or do you see yourself saying? I don't know. We talked about this last episode. How it's a bit silly, but do you see yourself in like three to five years going into an organization with fifty engineers or sixty engineers and and like talking to them, or, or are you happy staying in this sort of smaller growth ish, you know, ten to twenties size mm. business? Yeah, I mean, I, I like talking to individuals, and I think that in. in talking to individuals who are in sort of positions where they're close to the levers of influence uh, mm-hmm. is a more rapid way of affecting the kind of change that I want to affect. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's possible to do in an organization of 50 people. Again, we, talk, we talked about inertia before. There's a lot of inertia in an organization of 50 people. I mean, I can do the kinds of things in the company that I work for because I started doing it when there was two of us. If I started doing it when we were at our peak at like 14 people, I would have gotten so much pushback just from the people who I was trying to help just because yeah. of the sheer amount of inertia that's there. So it definitely does get harder. Uh, I'd never say never, but I don't, I don't, I don't really see my, I see myself more as a coach than a consultant. I, I think, yeah. I think there's okay. um, the, the work product um, that needs to go with consulting is something that at least at the moment, I don't have the time uh, or bandwidth um, mm-hmm. to deal with, but I don't know, kind of think of me more, I guess, as a, personal trainer for your devops thinking i guess <laughs> for sure cool steve keeps coming and going he's having some uh internet yep. connectivity issues for for steven you said that you you know you've had one client come back three years now do you find like of any of the clients that you've had that have come back multiple times do you find things that they've just like 
ignored from your audits and just haven't fixed or have decided to just, you know, it's a known, it's a known known. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we know about that, but we're, we're okay with it being there. Or do you find that they're generally fixing things up? The answer is yes and no and everything and all of the above. Um, some clients, I'll start from one of the spectrum. So some clients will actively fix things while I'm auditing, which is really awesome. Um, and so I'll report issues and they'll, some, sometimes I'll have it fixed within like a few hours, which is really cool. And then they'll send, send me the PR to review and so I can review their changes. And then by the end of the audit, um, they've fixed everything that I've found and I've reviewed all their changes and everything looks great. And that's that's a really nice feeling to finish the audit and have the line in the audit that says all of the issues were fixed during the audit. Um, and then some clients will will fix things in the couple, you know, the weeks following the audit and will you know ping me to let me know. Um, and if they've got simple changes, then I'll quickly check them. If they're more complicated, then you know we can rebook a like a, a day or two to, to review fixes. Um, some clients, um, you know, come back the next year and I'll review. So any re- re- recurring client, I will review um, my previous findings from the previous year. Um, and some of them, yeah, will have most things fixed. Um, sometimes they'll say, you know, we tried fixing this, couldn't solve this problem, or how would you recommend for this? Um, some clients, I will not name any names, um, haven't fixed much at all. Um, it's just, yeah, various reasons for it. Um, sometimes it's just a case of they need the piece of paper for compliance. And they accept that, yeah, these are issues, they're in their backlog, but they just haven't hit the top priority list. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, I'll talk to them and it'll be a case of what can I what can I say about this vulnerability to help you bump it up the list? Um, you know, maybe they're getting pushed back from management to to fix this, to, to implement this feature rather than fix the problem. Um, but if we can explain why that vulnerability needs to be fixed, then it can help them to build that case. Um, so it's really, it's, it's varied. Yes. Um completely which surprised me the first time i experienced it i thought everyone would, would be very quick to fix stuff but it's not always the case um, but the one thing that really frustrates me is that i recommend to every single client that they should install canary tokens which if you haven't heard of them are cool little free tokens you add around your code and in your environment yeah. that will alert yeah. you when a hacker is poking around when someone's accessing things they shouldn't or using api keys they shouldn't and none of my clients have ever added those for my re-test, um, so I've never actually managed to get pinged from one. All right. I think to save everyone stress, we will we'll wrap this episode here. Stephen, <laughs> do you want to just quickly, hopefully, tell everybody where you can be found on the internet, and I will salvage the audio version of this podcast as best as possible. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so I am Valorin, V-A-L-O-R-I-N, on most social media, not threads because threads are stupid. Um, I'm Valorin SRC, I think, on that one. Um, my website, stephenreescarter.net or valorinsecurity.com. Um, hopefully there'll be show notes and links because spelling that stuff is fun. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty active on Twitter. It's probably my main place, mm-hmm. but I'm trying to be active on Mastodon and other places like that as well. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks for your time, Stephen. Uh, As I said, I will do my very best to salvage the audio from this recording, which should theoretically be fine because it will have been recorded locally on your side anyway. So for Greg and I, we'll probably hear chunks of this podcast for the very first time when everyone else hears it for the first time as well. (laughs) We did did our best. We apologize uh, if there is any disruptive listening experience. It was not our intention. Uh, But on that note, this has been episode three of the Ripples podcast. I've been your host, Michael Dorinda, along with Greg and Stephen. You can find show notes at ripples.fm and we'll have links to Stephen and all of his wares in those show notes as well. Until next time, have a good one. Thanks very much. See you later. See ya.